Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 54. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. And we're a couple in Austin, Texas, getting to know each other better, one movie at a time. Just one. <laughs> well, we're on episode 53, so yeah. we've gotten to know 54. each other incrementally 53 times better. Yes. And then there's some extra episodes in there as well. Okay, that's more than you need to know, (laughs) first-time listener. Uh, Anyway, we've come up with a structure for uh, each one of us getting to choose something that the other person has to watch. Yes. So, But this one follows the old formula because you had not seen this movie previously. This is Ashley's choice this week. Yes, I chose this week, and I chose Marie Antoinette uh, by Sofia Coppola. 2006. 2006. Not because it's one of my favorite movies, but because I like Sofia Coppola and Lost in Translation is one of my favorite films. But you'd already seen that and we've already watched it together, so it didn't work for the for the film. But I was glad to revisit this because I have, I think, only seen it maybe once or twice before. So Well, we watched my DVD copy of Marie Antoinette that I <laughs> bought in like 2014, and I just have never gotten around to well, watching it. I don't know about that because we both had copies, so I don't know which which copy it was. We got rid of one, kept the other. Well, in fact, I etched my copy with the oh, micro- okay, with the little dot of they Sharpie. Have the VIN numbers. I did on them not. Or yeah, it has the VIN numbers. <laughs> yeah, I saw that you tried to scrape it off. Um, so I've <laughs> I've been wanting to watch this forever, and actually, whenever. Oftentimes, often, oft times, yeah. When you've said you were having trouble deciding on a film for the podcast, I would suggest this, and you go, eh, yeah. So, but I guess that's where we are now. Yeah. <laughs> Third tier movies. Well, I mean, I'm I, I guess it kind of has a. It goes. You know, we've seen a lot of. Uh, we've been watching a lot of great films um, related to the Black Lives Matter movement. This has nothing to do with that, other than there is a revolution. This involved. is a terrible Black Lives yeah, Matter. Yeah, it was a terrible Black Lives Matter movie. But you know, we watched "I Am Your Negro." We watched "I do Am the Not right, Your Negro." I am not your Negro. Yeah. Um, we watched "Do the Right Thing" recently. Um, so it was kind of hard to to find a movie that. I don't know, this has a little bit to do with the revolution, you know, not really, but sort of. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but... I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I don't know, I it. kind of feel like it's it's a little weird to talk about this kind of film during a time when there's so much unrest, and like, it's interesting, like, when you get to the end when the actual, like, revolution is happening, and, and you know, the people are outside the doors, and... And suddenly the world has come in on this movie because it is kind of like an escapist crumpet of a movie, you know. Um, I think that's a really good point because I don't yeah. know if if I would have viewed this movie differently had we not been in this period of protest yeah. right now. Yeah. So I see what you're saying and I definitely want to talk about that more yeah. as we get into this. <laughs> but let's give a little bit of detail. We have Kirsten Dunst. Yes. As Marie Antoinette. Yes. And can you give us a, the, a, a couple of the highlights of what this film covers? So it's about the life of Marie Antoinette, but it's very loosely based on. So it kind of hits the like big points in her life, but it's not at all like historically accurate or anything like that. And that's one of the criticisms that a lot of people had for it is that it's not. I don't think that matters to me. And they, she used the frame of Marie Antoinette's life to sort of tell it's, it's not even a story. It's sort of like an impression of of what it's like, what it was like to be, you know, the most power, essentially the most powerful woman in the world at the time, you know, and, but it's still sort of an impression of femaleness, which I think is one of Sofia Coppola's talents is this sort of ambient femaleness, but white femaleness too. So I I will say that. Yeah. She's all about the subjectivity of the alienated young woman. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why you like uh, Lost in or yeah, yeah, Lost yeah. in Translation, which I also really <laughs> like. Lost in Translation, I've seen it probably four or five times, and yeah. it was a favorite film of mine before I found out it was a favorite film of yours. Yeah. So I don't know why I never. There, there's at least three Cop- Sofia Coppola movies that I've never seen. Yeah. And this was the one I most wanted to see, so I'm glad <laughs> that you really chose it. 
Um, but when, when we pick up with her, she's about 15 years old or something, 14, right? 14, yeah. And, and she's, she has to marry um, the Dauphin of, yeah. of France uh, uh, to, to un- cement this union between yeah. Austria and, and France. So that's, that's one thing that I always think is really interesting about these stories is that even the most wealthy, well-bred, privileged women in these stories are still not free to make any decisions as far as like what they're like. So essentially like she's stripped of everything that she's familiar with and has to go like essentially be a representative of her country in another land, you know, Mm -hmm. and become possession of that land too, which is, you know, it's. (laughs) Well, that first, the first section of the film where we see her, essentially being handed over yeah. to the French crown. She, when she crosses the border, she has to enter a tent and mm. they remove her clothing. She yeah. cannot enter France it, with anything that belongs to Austria. They take her little frou-frou dog away from her. He's and just they, a pug. Yeah. They, they dress her. Uh, Mops. Mops. Mops, the okay. pug. Yes, I'm sorry. I, I neglected to note the... Uh, you can have as many French dogs very as you want. accurate French name of the dog. Um, but anyway... <laughs> Everything's taken away and she has to start over. Yes. And she enters this bizarre, like the labyrinthine rules yeah. of etiquette of being at, in the court. You know, you wake up and you're surrounded by throngs of courtesans and ladies in waiting. And, and there's this, all of that stuff is fascinating. There's no private life for her anymore. It's all public. Everything is public. You know, getting up in the morning. First thing in the morning, there's like 20 people in her room, you know, and that's that's how the the French court worked. There's a hilarious scene in that section. It it is the waking up the first morning where um, Judy Davis plays. uh, Mm. I, I don't remember the name of the character, but she's the contest who's sort of in charge with her orientation yeah you know and so she explains to her that the ranking member of the family has the duty and the honor of of waiting on her in a sense i think when during the dressing and undressing stage so as you know there's already 15 people in the room and as people come in like the the it changes hands to now madame so-and-so must you know remove your blouse and yeah well, it's yeah, it's all funny. based on hierarchy and who is closest mm-hmm. to the crown by blood, you know. And I actually don't know if that's historically accurate. It may be. I don't know. The other thing that I think is interesting is when she's traveling from Austria to France, there's this, they have a tent set up up the border. Yeah, that's what she And she to go goes in and, one side uh-huh. of the tent Dressed in her Austrian clothes with her Austrian That's dog. That's what I was saying. They, had to they remove completely her clothes. remove all mm-hmm. her clothing. They take her dog. She takes a bath. Then they put her in an entirely different outfit. And like, it's all, I mean, like, essentially, I, I mean, like, I don't know if she was traveling with anything, if she was allowed to bring anything from, I, or she just gets she, the all new she stuff. She could not bring any property from yeah. anything that belonged to Austria. Yeah. So or weird. any personal belongings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there, there's so much that's both wonderful and bizarre, but also upsetting about all yeah. the strange rules and stuff that she and she's. I think for me, the this first section of the movie is among the strongest stuff where yeah. where she really captures the disorientation of having your life completely yeah. changed and to enter this new world. And not know what the rules are. Yeah. And um, there's just a beautiful, beautiful tracking shot when she arrives at Versailles, I think, and yeah. she's walking through the court. And it's from her subjective point of view, like on kind of a handheld camera or tracking through mm-hmm. the crowd with all the people looking at her like like extras out of a Fellini movie, but yeah. dressed in the, all of the lavish gowns and stuff, watching her, critiquing her. You see the judgment in their eyes. You see the confusion. You see all range of, of uh, reactions to her. And she, and she feels very small and overwhelmed and like a little figure. It's just a really wonderful sequence. Yeah. And she does, like when Sofia Coppola like really goes in to see and view the world from her female character's yeah. point of view. That's some of her strongest stuff, yeah. I think, in this movie or well, in, in I some mean, of the other that, ones. That feeling of judgment, I mean, which, I mean, <laughs> from my perspective, is, is, is how I feel in the world, you know, is that sort of feeling... <laughs> You're like, that's what it feels like when I walk judge, down the street. <laughs> you know, and, 
And, you know, especially when you're new to it, how do you even begin yeah. to, to get over that enough in order to, and then much less be, ex, you know, accepted by like all these royal people and that weird stuff. <laughs> what I think is funny is she gets married pretty quickly. To Louis Auguste, the And Dauphin. then like, even after they're married, like, they're like, there's a whole courtroom of people in their bedroom on their wedding night, you know. That was kind of disturbing. Yeah, which, I mean, I think that is pretty historically accurate. Like, it was fairly common practice for people to try to observe the, the um, because that's that's the, well, the contract. And that's this, the, is, well, and the is, contract is not sealed. Yeah, right? it's because the consummation of the marriage. And, and a lot hangs on this, the yeah. first third of the film yeah. or so, that they have not consummated the wedding. Yeah. And it's this awful, horrible crisis and shame i mean Mm. not just personal shame but she has all the weight of her country waiting for her she has to carry all that too because she's hearing it from her mother her mother's writing her letters like the entire austrian nation depends on you like bearing a son you know so it's not just being pregnant and all all. the women are whispering in the hallways that she's frigid and there's something wrong with her and and well so (laughs) louis auguste is uh who well, when his father, Louis Cans yeah. dies of smallpox, he, yeah. he will eventually become king. King, yeah. King Louis Sixteenth. But um, he's played by Jason Schwartzman. Yes. Another common figure in the works of Wes Anderson and Sofia Coppola and all that kind of stuff. Um, familiar face. And he <laughs> talked to me about uh, his, his this version of uh Well, he's very Louis awkward. I mean, which that's what Jason Schwartzman does best is play awkward characters, you know, yes. since, since Rushmore. Since Rushmore. <laughs> that's his... Uh, I don't know if that was the first one, but that's yeah. the first one I remember. <laughs> um, but he just plays sort of like an awkward guy that doesn't quite understand women or isn't really interested in the world in general. He hunts... His hobby is he really, really likes like locks, locksmithing, locksmithing, yeah. and keys. Keys, yeah. He's, so he's a he's a lock nerd. I didn't yeah. know if there and was hunting, such a thing. and he goes hunting a lot. You yes, know. well, that's what you do. Well, and you know, there's a lot of. I mean, and I, again, I don't know any of the history of this, but there's a lot of like rumors going around that he's not into women at all. But I don't know how historically accurate that is or not. You know, or just he was. Well, he's either terrified or just completely disoriented. Well, plus he was. I mean, like, you know, Jason Schwartzman is quite a bit older, um, but I think that he was only a couple years older than Marie Antoinette, so that would have been, he'd be like 15-year-old boy, Yeah, you well, know? Well, eventually the implication is that he literally didn't know what to do. Yeah. And so her brother, event, was it well, her brother? This is a reason why we need extensive sex education in, in the yes. world, you know? It's true. <laughs> To keep our monarchies. Well, going. I mean, after this cri- this crisis of uh, the marriage not being consummated goes on for I think several years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, with increasing pressure and mm. on both of them, but especially on her. Like it's her fault, right? Yeah. Her mother is giving her advice by letter on how to inspire. How to seduce how it, to yeah, inspire him? Yes. Have you tried to inspire him? <laughs> Well, you know, interestingly, that part I know is historically accurate is how this gets solved is that her brother, who is the emperor of Austria, the Holy Roman Emperor, comes and um, he has a conversation and like they have documentation of this, like in a letter that he sent back to his sister, to to Marie Antoinette's mother. But yeah, he like he discovered that there was some lack of understanding about exactly how things worked, and he explained things. And he, in the and film, he explains have... it as locksmithing. Yes, that's and, right. <laughs> and a, a practice with keys and opening locks. Yeah. Yes. So, I don't know. I, I always think that's interesting. There are these little tidbits of history that are interesting and weird that are, like, conveyed in these, like, personal correspondence. Mm-hmm. Um, and they make great little details in in, you know, film and, you know, they make history all the more interesting, you know. That is definitely like almost a you can't make that up sort of no. moment. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, I mean, like, to me, I, well, I don't, again, I don't know anything about how, you know, people who aren't aware of these things or educated, but I, you know, you would have figured that his dad would have like taken an interest in, I don't know, or maybe like Louis Auguste was raised somewhere else, like often they were and then brought back and, 
no one ever bothered to explain the whole process to him or something. So at, at some point, and I can't remember now if it's before or after uh, Louis the Fifteenth dies of smallpox, mm. she embraces her inner need for shoes. Yes. There's, right? there's so you, the shopping scene. So you have the shopping montage. You have the stress of I want candy. Of this uh <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In a sec. You have the stress of this whole like consummate the marriage yeah. thing all of a sudden give way to fuck it, I'm gonna buy all the shoes and eat all so I call this section the the uh, shoes and bonbons section. Yeah, yeah, it's of, decadence and it's decadence and hedonism and it's all set. So this is one of the we haven't mentioned this yet, but you just went for yeah. it. the music soundtrack in yeah. this film is like the Strokes, the Cure, Banana Rama. You have this wonderful Phoenix. the shopping montage. Of course, Phoenix. Actually, was there a Phoenix song in this? There is a Phoenix song. Okay, yeah. I was wait. I was listening for the Phoenix song, and I never, I missed the Phoenix song. Yeah, Lost in Translation has a Phoenix song as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, Sophia Coppola is married to the lead singer yeah. of Phoenix. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Who's French. <laughs> so you have that wonderful, like, crazy montage of shoe shop shoes and bonnets and, I mean, so, I mean, these are and, all, like, and, like brand, I mean, like, the shoes are uh, uh, Louboutin, or I can't say it right. Yeah, yeah, And then it's a famous... I can see it written, I can't say Famous uh, patisserie that made the all the... All the delicious um, bonbons and macarons and all of that stuff. And it's all to that 80s song, I Want Candy. Yeah, it's good stuff. Beautiful, bright pastel colors. But you have, but the soundtrack that's throughout is, is it's a pop soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Or, or a sort of a poppy electronic ambient so did you, music. Did you catch, and like this is, it's in the actual poster, um, but like one of the details they put in there. It's like usually the costumes are very, you know, of the era, you know, modernized because they're of, of obviously made by a modern costumer. But um, there's a scene in there where there's a pair of uh, blue Converse no, on the floor. That. Yeah, I didn't catch that at all, but yeah. it was mentioned in the article I read. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was like, oh, I wish I'd seen that yeah. at the time. <laughs> so... That was one. This was one of the aspects that was controversial about the movie. With the with, you know, a portion of the critics yeah. was like, "What the hell with the with the pop soundtrack and the Converse shoes and the like multicolored explosion? Yeah, know, teenage pop explosion. Yeah, but well, that's what Sophia Coppola brings to this. She was like sixteen years old. You know, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years old. You know, so. I had her. I I knew enough about the movie to know it was going to have the pop soundtrack and stuff, but it, I didn't really have any sense of what the what the tone of the film was going to be or how it was all going to come together. But I really like that a lot. Yeah, I think it's one of the strong points. Is like the audacity to say mm. like. To, to say that this is how you all right now can understand yeah. this this girl, this sixteen year old girl who's given the world, yeah, you know, it's well, it's she's... pop music and it's it's just it's really good. Yeah, well, I mean, and she's, I mean, like there, she's not old enough where they would take her seriously on any sort of real questions of policy or anything like that. So what does she got to do with her time? You know, she doesn't have children yet. She, you know. Well, she's not yeah. consulted about policy. Yeah, or anything. Yeah. There's and Louis Auguste, Auguste doesn't really follow what's going yeah. on from the few scenes that we see. And I don't know how that corresponds with history. But, yeah. uh, you know, he has his little council sort of things every once yeah. in a while where they're like, well, you know, should we support the the, the American troops in the revolution? You know, or... <laughs> This doesn't seem like a great promotion system. I feel like yeah. there should be more like training earlier on. Like they should be brought in on some of this decision making. You know, I don't know. <laughs> well, this movie is decidedly not about the politics. No, like we don't see any of that. We just no. see a couple of glimpses where they're cons- where m- mainly in relation to how much money they're spending. Yeah, you know, you're draining the uh, the yeah. the funds of the country. Yeah, essentially. You know? 
Um, they do address the let the meat cake line yeah. at some point where they, they quote it and she laughs at it. Like, I would never say that. That's yeah. so stupid. You know? <laughs> Why would I say that? Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is funny because I was, <laughs> it's like the one thing, you know, about yeah. Marie Antoinette is that quote. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And the fact that she, you know, lost her head at the guillotine. And, yeah. But. Well, and had big hair. That's the other had, thing. She had very tall hair and that was fascinating seeing yeah. uh, them mount the tall hair that did look like it was going to fall over. Yeah. You can see the... <laughs> well, I mean, I, I have to say that the fashions of the time were quite silly. I mean, that just is, is a very... I mean, like, it's excess for, for no reason. I don't, you know... I never understood the powdered wig thing, but... No. Uh, it kind of took over in the 17-whatevers, you know. Well... I think this film. I'm changing the subject, so yeah, I don't know why. But that's I just, fine. but I'm, I'm veering over to like, you know, in terms of the the creating this world, is they actually got to shoot at Versailles, which yeah. is amazing that they actually had the access to be able to sh- shoot there. <laughs> so they're really there in the palace yeah, of Versailles. That, that's actually it. And I just, I just wanted to say that that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's, a, that's really the extent of my my uh, criticism there. I just well, I mean, I guess the rooms are really big, so there's plenty of room to get a camera. Yeah, but in the there. grounds too, like yeah. they, they she uses really well a few points. At a few points, um, there's one towards the end where, and I, I guess she's probably coming back from her little Trianon mm. estate, her little her little house on the grounds, whatever, yeah. where she goes to retreat and have her parties and stuff mm. like that. But there's a scene towards the end where. Um, and I don't remember what has just happened where she's returning and she's this tiny, she's a tiny figure with her, her two companions mm-hmm. walking up the, that set of stairs outside on the grounds. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's one of those great, like little person in a great architectural space, completely dwarfed, you know? She's nodding. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I think I looked away at that point because I don't know what shot you're talking about. But so other things in the film you have before Louis the Fifteenth dies and she becomes the queen and all that. You have all that business with his mistress, which is fascinating. Yeah. What Ma- Madame Duberry, Madame Duberry Duberry. Yeah. Played so by Asia Argento. Yes. Yeah, so she's the 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 consort of the king. Yeah. You know. But I guess she was like a prostitute or something. Yeah, yeah. So she she wasn't. It wasn't like he was having an affair with someone of royal blood. She was just a. But the scandal was he's brought her into this yeah. society, and whatever the rules of like explain what's the deal with like she can't be recognized unless she's acknowledged. She can't speak to Marie Antoinette or. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that just I don't know. I those formal patterns of address i i don't i don't know you know well the the deal in the yeah. film is that but the king's she's upset being, she's snubbing the king's mistress, yeah, mistress who is the king's official mistress yeah. and she's there in the in their company all the time but the rule is that the mistress can't speak to her until she addresses her first and it goes on a long time yeah it does and it's starting to create this weird political rift and like get them in trouble with yeah her advisor's like you really need to say something to her so she says some totally half-assed little nothing that that results in oh you know great well Well, i I kept thinking when we're watching it that she had she could learn a lot from from you know of how to use her power and and you know, be more because at that point she's still very. I mean, I think later in the film she becomes more of her own person and does her own thing. But at that point in the film, she, you know, she doesn't have any power. She doesn't really have any freedom. She's just kind of there as a, you know, yeah, as essentially a, a, an agreement between two countries. You no. know. It's already been, what, over a week since we saw the film, so probably yeah. some of the time sequences I'm mm. losing. But correct me if I'm wrong, but that when she kind of has that change where mm. she goes full into, I'm going to spend all the money in the world and yeah. like wear all the pretty dresses and buy all the shoes and eat all the desserts and the cakes and all that, 
isn't that still in the period where they haven't had a child yet? And that, that, that to yeah. some extent is her like, well, fuck it. If I can't please anybody, yeah, so I'm going to bury I myself in this. Like, yeah. I don't think they had a child until, until after, much later. after he was the king, after he was king, Yeah, you know? So this is part of her initial, like, I cannot live up to any of yeah. your expectations and I'm going to be like, well, I'm going comes, to immerse myself yeah. in this instead. She comes when she's 14 years old. They don't, they don't, become king and queen until um they're 20 so that's like six years of of time you know where well then didn't they die around then did they last less than a year as no no they oh i thought they died around when she was 20 no 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 she was nearly 40 when they. oh really yeah yeah oh okay they were married for like 20 years or something this is the issue then yeah (laughs) you can't tell that's right they don't age at all there's not enough (laughs) There's not enough character development for or something for it to feel. I mean, actually, I didn't know that that much time passed because I don't know yeah. the history. Yeah. I would have thought, oh, she reigned for like two years. Well, or, it's But that like, doesn't make sense because now I remember how many children they did end up having. They have four. Yeah. yeah. Well, she had... They lost I think one. she had a couple of miscarriages and then only one of them, their firstborn, lived to adulthood. All the rest of them died before they were so 11. The, so their firstborn was a girl. M- but yeah, Marie Therese. And everybody's waiting for the next Dauphin, the, yeah. a, a boy who will carry on the reign. That's right. Of course, nobody's going to carry on the reign. <laughs> well, actually, I, I was I was looking <clears throat> this up. One of the sons, I think the second son, actually was king of France again after the oh, revolution okay. for like... So for me, a few years sorry, or something. French listeners, yeah. <laughs> I, it all gets foggy at the time of the French Revolution. Well, I mean, I didn't learn any. I mean, I they didn't require us to take a European history class, and I should have, and I didn't, so I don't. I did take really some European full... history in high school, <laughs> yeah, and then you know I took four years of French, but we didn't yeah. actually do that much history. We read, we read we, I can't say we yeah. read literature. But we didn't really study. Well, it's hilarious, the you know, when so we're, much, which I we're wish in we did. England. Like, I don't really have much uh, understanding of like how Napoleon falls into all of everything. So, like, everything in London is is like, you know, some sort of statue or something to someone to he, Nelson, the, or, yeah, yeah, you know, or Waterloo, or you know, all of that stuff is related to uh, Napoleon, and I just don't really have much of a grasp of that particular history. So we'll have to work on this. Yeah, I mean, like if you ask me about like King Henry, Queen Elizabeth, I so got that have, stuff she, down. You're all, <laughs> a, you know, the the kings and queens of England. Oh yeah, but we don't Up know. To a certain point, we don't yeah. know our monarchies of Europe. Yeah, or our I don't European know where George the we, whatever. We know the French Revolution. Yeah. <laughs> but um well they they only teach us the french revolution in how it relates to the to the revolutionary US. ideas that yeah, inspired us yeah essentially yeah. you know because they were the same sorts of ideas yeah. they were the same philosophers and like you know benjamin franklin spent a good deal of time in france i think thomas jefferson spent a good deal of time in france as well so you know and they went to the coffee houses and talked philosophy and you know started a new country for better or for worse. <laughs> so, as we progress through the movie, yeah, you the next section I think is is the sort of she has her her little her little her little yeah. estate the yeah. petit trianon built yeah. where which is her retreat from court life and stuff yeah. like that and where where she can party, which right? but I think that what they. Gl- I think it's in there, but like after her daughter is born, I think the next there's like she has a miscarriage. And I think that that is the is the reason why she's she spends so much time there. Okay, It's kind of like glanced over, but he gives her a gift and then like. Every once in a while, he comes and he's like, "Can you can you come back to Versailles? We got some yeah, stuff yeah. for can you. you. Can you come on back?" Yeah, she's like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah. well, I don't know, maybe." Bro. Yeah, so. <laughs> but um, you still have um, a long era of her partying, partying, yeah, like a college kid partying, right? Yeah. Like they're out there drinking, spending champagne. all night out yeah. in the fields, like drinking bottles of whatever. Or they go out to, um, or they go to. Th- like a masquerade two balls in Paris. and masquerades, and she she starts this flirtation with um, what's his name, uh, her lover, Fersen, Count 
Count von Fersen. Con- oh, that's Count fair, von it's very Fersen. sexy name. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so that actually is what that 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 whole ex- that's fine. I I don't really care. What I like is the scene after like, he's that's all fine after he's gone to war, and she has that scene where like. She's like in the card room with yes. her, in the drawing room with and her she husband. Has her and the romance novel vision of yeah. Uh, she of, looks out the window and she sees him like riding a horse across a battlefield with his red cape, yeah. and then brooding like, and like with the sword. And, and she's like, "Can we maybe go to the opera?" And he's like, "No, I'm fine. I want to play whist." Yeah. Um, <laughs> so then she like excuses you know what? herself. Louis the Sixteenth was like no fun at all. Yeah, he, he just wants to play whist and eat. Uh, He's always nagging her to go Eat home early, boost. right? He's yeah. like, I think it's time that we should we should go home we now. Should go and home. she's like, oh, <laughs> you go on ahead of me. So she asked permission to be excused from the after dinner card playing. And she goes back to her room just to like lay on her bed and like drift off into space. And I love that scene. I just yeah. think it's great. You know, that sort of like that restlessness of not being able to see the person that you want to see and not knowing when you'll, and then that you'd rather be alone just like thinking of that instead of like trying to like, you know, go through the motions of, of, you know. Yeah. It's interesting. There's no, I mean, not that there would be in that circumstance, but there's no like big judgment or anything like that of her being involved in an affair or anything like that. You well, know? there's no judgment of her really at yeah, all. That's true. I think the film identifies with her mm. or wants us to identify with her so much or to see things from her point of view to such an extent that there's really no, I mean, there's, I don't feel like there's any judgment or criticism of her really. Uh, I don't know. Talk to me. I mean, I just think that in displaying this, I mean, unless you're completely clueless that this much decadence, like it's okay, it's so, obvious that it's it's over the top and that, you know. Yeah, I can see how, well, I mean, I feel like the I want candy sort of yeah. era is very over the top and decadent. It's not, but it's also like, it's portrayed as so fucking fun and exciting. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, you guys, can you imagine (laughs) if you had all this? Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. It seems like if you had everything, then it would get boring. And she did. She She got bored. bored. That's why she had to, you know. Well, she ends up having several children and she kind of comes towards the very end. She sort of like comes around to being a mother or. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or having some family (laughs) thoughts. Yeah, well, I, that I mean, don't have to do I with lovers she, and uh, candy. You know, I think that in in real life, what really happened, I think she did become more politically minded and more form, family oriented towards the latter part of her life. They, there are gestures that in yeah. the, in the film that she became more family minded. Yeah. I don't really see anything in the movie about being any more politically. minded. That's true. You know, well, what I always think is. Is interesting. I mean, in like, you know, in any. The, you know, monarchies are problematic, you know, because essentially in order to. That's that's our episode (laughs) title. Monarchies are problematic. (laughs) I mean, but essentially they're they're living off the backs of 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 the common people that, you know, in this case, didn't have I mean like they had a poor, a poor grain harvest all the money of the crown has been spent so they can't buy grain for the the people of the country you know and you know that's not Mary Antoinette's fault it's the decisions of her husband and the other people leading the country that are you know spurring that on but I think I always think it's interesting that she was like the big symbol you know it was really easy to make her the target of the of the decadence and of the misspending of funds and, and that sort of thing. Oh, you know? blame it all on the woman. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, I mean, and I think that that's, you know, you know, part of it is that they, they, they didn't have all that positive view of the King and they thought she <clears throat> had, you know, 
her fingers on things and in things and, you know, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to excuse that behavior because they completely ignored the suffering of a nation in order to continue to live how they'd always lived, you know, and I think that's one of the criticisms that a lot of people had with it. It is it didn't give, it doesn't condemn them enough for that. Had with the film? Yeah, yeah. That it doesn't con, it doesn't condemn well, them for that. I as, agree with that. Yeah. To a, because the film is almost not aware of this at all. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I don't feel like you have the intrusion of the outside world and what's going on at all until the the mob shows up at Versailles. Well, I mean, and isn't that like, that's like, it's really painful to know that there are people are starving and, and she's not even aware, you know, that well, we're not aware. It's that interesting she, because yeah. the way she, the, well, that what you're saying yeah. is exactly where I'm, I'm going to yeah. elaborate on that. But the, like the film doesn't make us aware yeah, yeah, as exactly. viewers. So we're not French. Yeah. We don't have a complete glimpse of history. We know enough about Marie Antoinette to go like that. This is not okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the film doesn't give us any of that. Mm-mm. And so in a sense, it's really effective when the mob finally oh, shows it's terrifying. up. It's, it's absolutely so, terrifying. So I, so yeah. what I was saying her is I really love the opening with her disorientation and coming to court and everything. Mm-hmm. And for me, the next strongest thing, maybe, mm. I don't know. I have fondness for, I want candy and stuff yeah. too, <laughs> is how terrifying that last 15 or 20 it's minutes scary. is yeah. where they're inside with just a handful of them left in dark rooms. And you hear the protesters and the revolutionaries, the, the, the people yeah. outside shouting for their death right yeah. and like smashing. it's a whole different soundtrack too it's because there's been there's been there's, music there's no music the, now you're hearing broken windows yeah. and shouting and rumbling yeah and you know things being torched and yeah. uh like people calling for them to screaming for them to come out screaming bloody murder and all that it's really well done yeah it's very unnerving it's scary <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I was, you know, in my sort of morbid fascination with these sorts of things, I think, I think, although we, we didn't go into the, the, um, or did we, when we went to the Tower of London, we didn't go into the scary torture room or anything like that. But, you know, I think, I don't think they take you to any scary torture room at the Tower of London. That's true. Don't they? Ha- I don't know. Is there a museum? Well, there's stupid so- um, tourist, oh, the tourist wax, things the like the museum. London Dungeon okay, or the yeah. Wax Museum. We didn't do any of that. No. But I mean, I think everyone goes through a phase where they're a little bit obsessed with. Well, maybe not everyone. With, well, I like, was weird- obsessed with like Richard the Third and the Little Princes that yeah. were murdered. And oh all yeah, that and kind the tower. Stuff, weird right? medieval, you know, stuff. But I was think that it's really interesting that there was like a hierarchy of how people are executed, like, you know. Because the guillotine was for high class people, which is weird. It's weird that that's well, a, it's instant, right? Yeah, yeah. It sounds so like brutal. Yeah, but it's fast. But yeah, it's not like hanging, which you know. There's more suffering involved. There's yeah. probably the the suffering for guillotine is probably the mental suffering of walking up to the yeah. And well, I mean, and that's the, the thing is times. they didn't have to worry about like you know, someone not being accurate with their sword or their, you know, although I think there's some malfunctioning involved in the guillotine as well. So there's I mean, always like, malfunctioning. You know, not to be, well, to be morbid, but I just, to me, I just think that's the weirdest thing in the world. Like we have a hierarchy of how we execute people. And then the French people in their fighting, you know, to get rid of this monarchy, they still maintain those same structures. And that's really weird to me. Like, the class system of yeah, uh, execution. Of, of execution, even in the tearing down of the monarchy and building a democracy. It just seems a little strange to me. So, of course, we don't get the guillotine <laughs> in, the, in the film. We yeah. end with them being in the carriage. Well, and I think they away. stay, they're still alive for a couple more years after that. They're, they, yeah, I wouldn't have known that. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I don't think they were immediately, like, you know. Yeah. But, I, but we see them taken away. Well, and like, it's not like democracy immediately started. I think there was a bunch of other like ro- weird royalness and then, 
Napoleon and, you know. French listeners were trying to brush up <laughs> on so our history. Yeah. <laughs> if there's a good, uh, what do we, we need a pop-up book. No. Well, if it makes, it makes them feel any better, my grasp of American history isn't all that great either, so. <laughs> I know nothing about Polish history. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Um, I know more about Iceland because I was there recently, so I could tell you a little bit about the history of Iceland. <laughs> okay, so we've we've skittered across this, and you said something earlier. Yeah. But, and we've addressed a little bit some of the criticism of the movie, but I just kind of want to put out there, like, what is this movie about? I mean, what, what, why is this, why does this movie exist? Yeah. I mean, cause is it, I'm not saying it is, Yeah. but is it sort of superficial? A, a little you, bit. Because do yeah. you, you don't really, like we've talked about that. You don't really get any of the social context. You no. don't really get the politics. You don't really know what's going on outside the walls of the castle in some way you could say this is a movie about like a spoiled kid clueless style right yeah only it has the weight of she's the queen of france France, yeah right at just before the just at the time of the revolution Mm. so like this movie is just vastly entertaining i liked this film but i did kind of have this feeling of like but why but so what i mean but what what are we saying about what are we saying about her yeah what is sofia coppola's stance what why did she make this film what is she trying to say about marie antoinette why are why did we make a movie about marie antoinette to show her as basically a disaffected teenager who's in above her head and has all the wealth of the world thrown at her like why what does this all mean and I don't know. Yeah. Who, so. <laughs> well, I mean, like, if I want to, but the thing is, I'm okay, I'm gonna, I'm going to frame this by saying that we have seen so many wonderful films directed by women lately. We've yeah. been watching the works of Agnes Varda, who really hits home well, the like issues of like being a woman in the world and what that means, and like spaces that women make for each other and the importance of abortion rights. And yeah, yeah. All you have of those... To, those listening, we're talking, I think, about yeah. One Sings the Other Doesn't, the yes. musical that she made in the 70s. This it's so great. beautiful expression of a female friendship and all those weighty issues that women have to deal with. And then the same week we watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is These are two of so the best good. things we I mean, watched and like, I just remember, like, there's a scene where... Um, where they paint, she paints, mm-hmm. um, a, a, she's an artist, and she paint, a friend of hers asks her to paint a portrait of a woman having an abortion. Right. And, like, that scene is, like, that, that, that women get to tell these stories. Anyway, so I was, like, watching a film of a woman telling the story of like these women telling this anyway so i was in tears <laughs> yeah but so, i don't have that feeling about Marie exactly Antoinette. well that's my that's my friend that kind of but social context i, I to will this film. i will say that it's important that these stories are told this one is not as weighty as as the agnes varda or as portrait of a lady i don't on think fire. it shouldn't be told no. i'm not saying it's not a valid story but i'm just it's well, so it's, narrow it's so yeah. the focus is so narrow on um, basically, teenage girl in a pop world but sort when, of view. But when I look at it from that perspective, yeah. when I look at it from that perspective, I see a girl who's trapped, and her only job is to make babies. That's, yeah, that's her true. only job. And it's not just like, I mean, it's like that's all people care about but, is that. And then after she's done that, all they care about is, you know, how she's living her life. You know, it's this, it's the life of a woman writ large, you know, but that's the same sort of thing. She's not free. Even though she's the most powerful woman in the world, 
arguably, or one of them. She's not free to make any decisions. Her only job is to have babies and be pretty. That's like, that's it. Okay. You know? I, I know what you're saying, and I know that that's the story of her but it's, yeah. life. Yeah. But I don't know if that's the movie we get. No. Like, there's so, so, why is it so fun to be spoiled <laughs> and buy shoes? And so, There's this element, there's yeah. this almost an element of like, wish fulfillment or or like fantasy or something yeah. i don't know like it identifies so much with what if you were marie antoinette well, and you does, were in this situation it we, would be so fucking fun right yeah how so do, there's that how do we raise our girls yeah you know in this world they're all princesses you know they can of course, that's delightful to us to have every wish fulfilled, to have every tasty morsel that you want, to have all the shoes that you. I mean, of course, that's delightful to to have all of that, you know. But the thing is, is I don't think it completely dismisses the sadness that's there and the no, the sadness is there, you know, and the, you know, I don't know. I guess I. I mean. I, so I liked the film. I'm yeah. just saying I'm, I'm, I've been struggling a little bit with trying to figure out what it all means. Yeah. I guess I'm trying to figure out what does it mean to Sofia Coppola? Yeah. Because I can't speak for her. I don't know That's what she's true. trying to do and I don't know why she made the choices she made. Yeah. You know, I, does it work as a film? I think it works as a yeah, film. Yeah, I think it's But a, there's some part of film. me that's still trying to, that's, I don't know, that's still... I don't know. Still looking for some kind of deeper connection to the social world or even to yeah. French history at that time, to the people who are starving, to, you know, yeah. there's, and, and she's not going there. No. Not really until the very end when they're yeah. outside the door. Yeah. But at that point, they're just a scary threat to Marie Antoinette and, yeah. and her family. They're not, they're not people. They're not people that have very real needs and very real complaints and very real, you know, yeah, I, it's, it's an enjoyable film. I think it's more than enjoyable. I mean, I think it really does have a lot going for it. Otherwise we wouldn't have been able to talk about it for yeah. so long. Yeah, it does. But I just, I don't know. I felt like it needed something. Yeah, well, you know, I have Am to I say... Am I used to being... Maybe there's a different kind of filmmaking where you are more led to think and feel about... I mean, like, you're... the You have a clear idea of what the director wants you to think about or what attitude they want you to have about the character. I don't really know what... So that reminds ...attitude me. we're supposed to have. Other, I mean, is this... Is she misunderstood? Is she, you know, a victim? Like, where, and why did you choose Marie Antoinette to make a movie about yeah. a feminist victim or something like what that? What was the other why Agnes Marie Antoinette? Varda? What was the other Agnes Varda film? We saw the one about the guy. Vagabond or? No, no, no. The, not Vagabond. The one with the guy. Oh, um, Le Bonheur. Yeah. Which like yeah. oddly had that same sort of like lack of judgment of this guy who did like some objectively horrible stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. but like the film didn't really have much judgment for no. him. It was similar though in that yeah. sort of, in the, and That's I, interesting. I wonder if, um, although she, I think they mentioned that she talked about, um, like <clears throat> Milos Foreman and, um, I can't remember the other, oh, um, Kubrick as her influences for this particular Milos film. Milos Forman and Terrence Malick. And Terrence Malick. And, and, and I think that's because of that sort of magic hour, beautiful person in landscape sort of days of heaven. It, kind does, of. it does feel kind of like, what's the Kubrick historical it's, it's, one? I can see she studied Barry Lyndon. Yeah, yeah. A great deal. Yeah. And to good effect. I mean, yeah. it's magnificent. It's mm. beautiful. It's beautifully shot and lit and all the and the set design and the costumes. The costumes won the Oscar, I think. They did, yeah. I think there were like seven warehouses for Wait, that. Wait, you said Kubrick and who? Uh, Milos, Milos Forman did Almadeus. Mm. So I think yeah. that's the point of reference there. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. But those always had very clear viewpoints of their, you know... 
that Mozart was kind of a silly man and Barry Lyndon was kind of an asshole, you know. But I don't feel that any, I don't feel that kind of, <laughs> I don't know why I want that. I just, but there's a part of me like, okay, but is Marie Antoinette really a victim here? Is she really, like, do is she really so misunderstood? I mean, why, do, no. why are we going for this apology of Marie? I mean, I don't know why I want to put that frame on it. Well, I mean, like, if we want to look at it from that perspective, like... Like, why tell Marie Antoinette's story yeah. if you're going to do it like this? I mean, yeah. there's, a, there's a part of me that's like, why are you not telling a story of a poor woman in France during the yeah. time of the revolution? Yeah. What is it about Marie Antoinette? I mean, yeah. you know, it's because you wanted to do the shoes and the pop music, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And I don't know. That's I fun. Mean, that's I'm, fun. You know, it's not as... So that's not... That's a valid choice. Yeah. I don't know. You never get very far with wanting to be mo- like trying to say the movie should do this instead of that. But I'm just saying if there's anything, it's that kind of like it doesn't feel connected to the real world in some way yeah. to history and society. It's mm-hmm. a great, sub- to a certain extent, subjective view of Marie Antoinette, yeah. a teenage girl who suddenly becomes queen of the world. Yeah. What would that feel like? What would that be like? But then you're... but. There's just, I keep immediately going to, but so what? Who cares? You know? <laughs> but I, I mean, I was totally absorbed by the movie. I wanted to, I felt stumbled on um, uh, Roger Ebert. Did you see his, the, he gave it a four-star review. Yeah. And this is helping me some, yeah. somewhat. Um, he says, he said in his review, um, every criticism I've read of this film would alter its fragile magic and reduce its romantic and tra- tragic poignancy to the level of an instructional film. <laughs> this is Sophia Coppola's third film centering on the loneliness of being female and yeah. surrounded by a world that knows how to use you, but not how to value and understand you. Yeah. And so I think that goes to what you were saying. Yeah. So... But there, there are people who I are doing that. that much more powerfully. And I would argue that her f- previous two films also do that more powerfully than, than this film does, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I don't know... You know, I've seen a couple of her following films uh, somewhere and The Bling Ring. I have not seen The Beguiled. But they don't haven't worked for me as strongly as... Virgin Suicides and Lost in Translation did. I may be and wrong. And this one is mm-hmm. transitional for me, but like I just was not able to connect I to I the other I haven't seen, two. for whatever reason, I haven't seen any of the films after this. Yeah, yeah. Either. The same three that you just mentioned. So somewhere is um, an actor and his daughter yeah. that he has joined. Oh, I remember the trailers yeah. very clearly. Yeah. I, I would have seen it. And then um, uh, the, bling the Bling Ring, ring. is about girls... Um, some some girls who decide to rob uh, rich some wealthy girls who try to are there shoes and bonbon scenes? Uh, they're stealing you know Orlando Bloom's you know watches or whatever okay. you know I don't know whether it's Orlando so I would Bloom. see anything she made <laughs> I think she's I think she's amazing yeah. I mean I on the strength of um, her first three films alone yeah. right Virgin Suicides is it's, amazing it's an amazing film yeah. So I guess I need to, uh, this really means I need to catch up with the other three. And maybe, you know, maybe they're not masterpieces, but I'm interested to see what she's doing. And I haven't seen um, The Beguiled, but there's a really excellent review done by the film spotting folks um, on that. And then they did their countdown of Sofia Coppola films, I think. Um, Yeah. Well, the thing I wanted to say about this really good. You know, you should listen to it. <laughs> well, I, I, I may be wrong because, I mean, I didn't see The Beguiled, but I remember there was some maybe similar critique of that film mm-hmm. about it not addressing the issue of slavery Yeah, it's all, said in the fact that they would have had It's slaves, post-Civil War, I think, it's, right? or during the Civil War, actually. Right. Yeah. It, yeah, it doesn't really address it. And so a lot of people found it problematic that it just removed this element mm-hmm. from the lives of these women, these yeah. white women in yeah. their plantation house or something like that. So I don't know. I can't address that because well, I haven't and, seen the film. You know, I, I'll argue but, that Sofia Coppola is a very privileged white woman. It would be kind of weird if she started telling the stories of those 
with different viewpoints than yeah, her. Yeah, and I you can't know? I can't speak for what yeah. the criticism was specifically. Yeah, but I thought it had to do with like a lack of awareness and even even showing anything of yeah, that yeah. it was there. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't think it's actually a lack of awareness. But I mean, but that's, I don't think that's, that's a criticism the of the choices yeah. of the story she wants to tell. And you, you also know? have... And whether that's out of touch I, with, it, it's with... It's a remake with of another film, our society right? Today, it's a remake which, of a Clint Eastwood film. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh. So I haven't seen the original either. So she's working with <laughs> yeah. material from another... That's weird. I didn't yeah. know that. That's... He didn't... I don't think he directed it. I don't but, remember who directed it. Yeah. He's, in, he's in it. So I mean I think if we if we I mean try to divorce the the vision that we're presented with from the context which you know is impossible but I like it as a film As far as I know yeah. this is the world's <laughs> only period film that has the cure on the soundtrack That's right. and the strokes so I think No I don't want to belittle this I think it's a great I mean I think it's a really good film Yeah I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, it gives you a lot to think about and a lot to talk about, which yeah. is why it was a great pick for the show. <laughs> I told you like six months ago yeah. that we should do this. I but. know, I know. Well, I mean, so, but it, you know, before we were focused on films that were emotionally resonant. Yeah. And though I liked this film, when I saw it, it wasn't something that, like, Emo- I, that I, I connected to. I on agree a, with that because I do have deep level. I do have know? that feeling about Lost in Translation. Yes, that resonates for me emotionally. Yeah, this movie doesn't resonate for me. Yeah, emotionally, I I feel the same way. Yeah, but there's a whole other way of seeing admiring movies that like I, I've had that problem too, yeah. where I, where I'm like I really need you to see something, but yeah. then I'm like. But it's not because I feel like it's more like sometimes it is about this is one of the most beautifully shot and edited films and the narrative structure is amazing. And I can't believe you haven't seen it. But then I'm like, I'm trying to think about what our conversation and then then when I get into the level of like, how did it make you feel and all that? A lot of the how that made me feel was like the film, you know, the cinema of the movie. And then I'm like, maybe, maybe I didn't connect with it emotionally or I emotionally connect to it because it's so beautiful. Yeah. Or so vivid or something like that. So, yeah, it's we're well, going to reach for those movies if sometimes. Wanna, if we want to talk about the first two films, they have a lot of, whether it's actual interior monologue that we get to hear, like yeah. Virgin Suicides is told from the store, from the point of view of a boy who, of one of the boys who was, we don't know which one, one of the boys that observed these girls. So we have this this perspective and then lost in translation. I feel like it's like, even though we don't have like a true interior monologue going on where we can hear what the characters are saying, it's so intimate with, with Bill Murray and with Scarlett Johansson that you almost get the feeling that you're, you're inside their head and you're experiencing it with them. I didn't, you don't go inside Mary Antoinette's head. No, this You're is, watching it. This is a really good point because now I'm, when I'm remembering watching the film, I do feel that you can do that. Of course, in movies, you can yeah. do that kind of character subjectivity without having a, mon- a voiceover. Yeah. And I feel like the first 20 to 30 minutes of the film, the first section of the movie where she's has to go yeah. when she's sent to France and she's absorbed in that world that, you know, the, what I said, the procession where she's being marched in and you see all the scary people looking at her. The film for me has that kind of deep subjectivity to her at that point. Yeah. But I think there's a break yeah. in it and it may be the, I want candy sort of hedonistic yeah. explosion of I'm going to, abandon like just abandon myself in mm-hmm. spending money and shopping and cakes and lovers and all that that i feel at from that point forward a lot of the time it no longer feels like we're in her head it yeah. feels like we're watching her from a distance doing yeah. that and so maybe that's why some criticism has been a lot of the film feels kind of music video like or something or there's some kind of at, it's a, at a remove to a certain extent yeah so i do see that she's filmed and shown differently. Yeah. And I feel 
more connected to her earlier in the film than yeah, I do I can later. See that. Yeah. Where I'm then watching her make bad choices or <laughs> or or not. Or yeah. you know, whatever. We don't have to judge everything she does. <laughs> well, I, I wonder if at that point I mean like are we like the people who are watching from the outside? Did she turn us in from someone into the courtiers, into the the people who are judging her from the outside. I mean, it, it was that intentional or or not? I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't need to know. Yeah. I mean, it's it's great to argue about or think about. Yeah. I don't know. I might need to see it again. <laughs> so it's not. I often. mean, you know. So one of the the thing that it that where I stopped just purely watching and started thinking yeah. was when she was treating uh, the king's mistress badly. Uh-huh. That's where I felt the... That you the, didn't identify with her anymore? Yeah. Or you the, lost like, the I thought. I mean, like I said, thinking, like, if she was nice to her, she has so much that she could teach her about life and about, you know... And I don't know if that's just a reflection of my, uh, you know being brought up in a society so, where there's not as much class distinction or something or for Marie Antoinette to embrace superficiality and it not be the film that's embracing superficiality. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I like what you said. <laughs> I don't it also reminds me of um I had a I took a Roman history class and our Roman history teacher always told us that we didn't you can't understand the actions and behaviors of Romans by comparing it to how the US is like how modern Americans yeah. are. He's like people try to make that comparison but Romans were not yeah. Americans. Like their understanding of things was completely different. Well, and like well and same same deal like when, when I took my 16th century literature class, like, she had to explain to us how people in that time period thought, because it's not the same yeah. as how people think now. It's Their understanding is completely different, you know, because they don't have the context of all that history. They don't have the, I mean, like, you know, you know, like... We don't we don't have a full understanding of the freaking pandemic that we're in because we're living it, you right. know. It's so their concept of things are not the same as American. Their their morals and their values were different. So if you try to understand the past through your own lens, it's really hard to do that, you know. But then you have a weird situation where that what you're saying is yeah. valid that yeah. we can't understand what it was yeah. like to, but then you also have the director making this world ex- or this woman accessible by giving it the pop music. Yeah, and yeah the, exactly. And the, she's kind of like a modern teenager, a college yeah. kid who just wants to party. Yeah. You know? She's like a trust fund spoiled kid. Well, I mean, in, in a sense, I feel like probably back then a teenager is going to, a 14 year old is going to seem a lot younger than a 14 year old yeah. now, you know? Well, except that they married them off when they were... Oh, well, yeah, that's true, you know, but... You know, they didn't have the power of the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, in, in, the, in the same sense that, like, me as a 14-year-old is a lot different than your children as 14-year-olds, specifically because of the cultural revolution that is the internet, and, and okay. their experiences are entirely different. They should do a version of Marie Antoinette yeah. where she's making TikTok videos the whole time. <laughs> That's what I want to see. That would be good. We could do all of the... Maybe Ka- Sky can make that. We would do a Catherine the Great or something like that, you know? Some With TikTok other, videos. Some other... You know, Influencer. Yeah. Elizabeth. Well, I'm glad you finally chose this movie. Yeah. You know, I will say it's a lot more fun to watch, although I did enjoy it at the time, is the Kate Blanchett's Elizabeth. Yeah, which I enjoyed But that. it's a lot more fun to watch this than to watch uh, that, which is yeah, kind of dour. Yeah, that's fun. It's, although I do enjoy Jeffrey Rush in nearly everything, so, he was know. He was good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was in Shakespeare in Love, too, yeah, right? Yeah. He was in all of those yeah. sorts of things. Je- for a while, Jeffrey Rush was, and he, he was in Pirates of the Caribbean as well. I so, haven't seen that. Yeah. The first one, ignore the rest of them, but... Okay, I just said I haven't seen Pirates of the Caribbean. Will this be something that comes back to haunt us on another episode? 
perhaps. I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings about it. I really think the first one was surprisingly was it a delight? A surprisingly fun film. Um, and then they made it into a terrible, awful series of terrible films. And they turned Johnny Depp from a, a pleasing comedy, a pleasing comedy actor into like sort of a parody of himself. Of himself, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, do you have any other thoughts on Marie Antoinette before we sign off this week? I. I, it makes me. It was sad watching this because we were supposed to go to Paris. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, and, and we, we didn't spent get to go. Our, our our time off when we were supposed to be in Paris watching French movies, right? Yeah, we. That's, said, when, we that's when we watched the Agnes Varda and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Mm-hmm. Um, Some Godard films like Contempt. It's on Hulu now. See Portrait of a Lady on Fire. It's it's and the so Criterion good. edition just came out. Yeah. I mean, I wish we had talked about that film. I just, it's just so beautiful. It's a beautiful film. Well, you know, we kind of threw out all the rules. Maybe we can do that film at some point. Yeah, yeah. But we have to watch it again. Yeah. What was the other one we were going to do? I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> like, literally today, yeah. I was like, oh, I kind of wished we had covered that on the show. And I don't remember what it was. And I don't. Oh, it was um, uh, Juliet Binoche. Oh, Certified Copy. So good. Yeah, with Juliet Binoche. Such a weird film. Yeah. <laughs> we watched that that week, too. It was our French movie week. So this doesn't happen to me all that often anymore, but we've seen a few films where fairly soon after seeing them, I want to see them again. Yeah. It usually takes me years to get back to something. But we've seen some movies that are so rich and, and, and have so much going on that like I need to see them again now that I saw saw it and got yeah. the gist of it or whatever now I need to like start peeling away the onion layers all that yeah. anyway all right we are at a marathon uh, hour and 6 minutes here holy crap and we have a rest of an e- evening to get through <laughs> but not with you you don't have to listen to it thanks for sticking with us um, share your thoughts if you want to write us at shutupwatchthis at gmail.com about Marie Antoinette or anything else we've talked about We'd love to hear from you. Tell your friends about our show. Leave us a review on iTunes. And we'll be back with another pick. And next time, it's my turn. Yeah. It's my turn. Who knows where we'll go? Not even I know that. Okay, let's go feed the pets. Let's feed the pets. All right, bye. Talk to you next next time. Bye.